Welcome to the Sales Acceleration Show, where we talk about the science of selling across the areas of demand generation, sales, and sales operation. This show is about doing. We focus on real problems, real solutions with real people, all dedicated to accelerating sales. I'm Gabe Larson. And I'm Steve Error. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the Sales Acceleration Show with Gabe Larson and my good friend and colleague here, Steve Ayer. How you doing, Gabe? Not too bad. I'm ready to rock and roll. Today's show, we've got some exciting content around the five secrets to closing seven-figure deals. But before we get into it, some hot news in the industry. Wanted to hit on two topics. Steve, what do we got? I, I think the, the, the first one, the one I think we're most excited about, uh, here at Inside Sales would be the uh, the CNBC Tech Disrupt. CNBC Tech Disrupt, that's right. InsideSales.com makes a list of top 50 disruptors coming in at number 31. Who else is on the list? Some pretty big titans. Yeah, uh, I have to say I'm kind of proud to have been beat out by <laughs> one space, by uh, by SpaceX. I mean, you think about it, we're working for InsideSales.com and SpaceX, who's taking people to Mars, is number <laughs> yeah. 30. <laughs> yeah, so our technology is cooler than Mars. I knew well, it's, that it's one almost as cool. It's almost as cool as Mars. It's <laughs> almost as cool as Mars. And I'm okay with that, because Mars is pretty dang cool. So so SpaceX was on there. Um, what are some of the other big, uh, big ones outside of InsideSales.com? Uh, you've got uh, Spotify at, was that name? Number twenty-five. Yeah, so. You've also got Slack on there. Number mm-hmm. twenty-one. Uber was number one. Is that right? Uber was number one. Airbnb, which I've, I've never used, that was uh, was number two. That's definitely. I mean, I just flew into Austin actually the other day. Funny story uh, with Uber. I land. I'm supposed to land at eleven. I end up landing at literally one thirty a.m. for <laughs> some flight delays. I try to get on my Uber app, um, and it appears to be broken. But lo and behold, I did not know this. I guess uh, due to some sort of um, vote within Austin, they've banned Uber. You know, my my, it. my father travels quite a bit, and uh, he swears by Uber. Well, you don't swear by it in Austin because not I, Austin. I seriously <laughs> thought my app was broken. And then I had to go back and use a taxi. And you know what? It, it turned out to be fine, but it, it certainly threw me for a loop. So definitely Uber. I get that being disruptive. So why inside sales? What does it kind of give the reasoning as to why inside sales is one of the top 50 disruptors according to CNBC? Well, well uh, let me clarify just for the record. It got a couple things wrong. Um, it says we, we, we love our, our large data set with, with 14 billion sales interactions. That's a little off. Yeah, by how much? By like a uh, factor of ten. Yeah, eighty-four, five million billion. Yeah, we're we're over a hundred billion now. That's right. That's so, right. So one of the big keys is the InsideSales.com big data play, and we're going right. to be talking about that today. Over a hundred billion sales interactions that are all used to see if you can't connect with customers in a more strategic and systemized, scientific way. InsideSales.com. Um, CNBC top 50 dis- um, disruptors. Fan- I mean, proud to be on the list. Awesome news for InsideSales.com. Well, there's there's some more big news that came out this week um, that uh, Microsoft made just a little 
little acquisition. We, <laughs> we've been talking a lot about acquisitions lately, but, but it looks like Microsoft purchased LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn for what was the total price? $26.2 billion. My goodness, 26.2. We were talking about the, the Marketo acquisition. This is probably why Microsoft did not buy Marketo. Yeah, I don't know if they had – you know, they probably couldn't have paid you know fifty billion out of their pocket for both companies total. Probably wouldn't have wouldn't have worked. So, can you think of the power though of, of combining Microsoft Dynamics with the the uh, the business intelligence that's located within LinkedIn? Yeah, I mean, anytime you can apply into a CRM some strategic um, networking around what LinkedIn can provide, I think it could be powerful. I'm looking at one quote here. Where he talks and says, it's really the coming together of the professional cloud and the professional network. In other words, we now work by toggling between our productivity software and our social networks. Why should the two be separate? And I think that's right. I think the integration between being able to capitalize on the LinkedIn network, right. um, understanding and getting more people onto some of the productivity tools that uh, Microsoft offers could be pretty the powerful. Well, I'm excited to see what it, what it what it means, what it does is you know, um, and and what it means to the sales community and SaaS community as a whole. So it would be exciting to see. But enough news. I think uh, everybody has a burning question. I think that question is, what does it take to close a seven figure deal? <laughs> and <laughs> you, rumor has it you have the answer. Um, I always have the answers, and this time I've got them um, in a great order. We actually did a webinar on this topic not too long ago, and we thought it'd be off uh, fantastic to share it here on our Sales Acceleration podcast. So we've got five secrets of closing big deals, but there's some data behind this. And I want to reference our business business growth index. For those of you who don't know that, we'll make sure we put the link in the show notes, InsideSales.com over the past year. Um, really diving into that data set, into the haystack, 100 billion sales act interactions, figuring out what is and is not the trends going on in the industry. Um, this particular data set, we actually looked at bottom of the funnel. So we dove into 5 million, a little over 5 million um, pipeline and sales interactions. And then mm -hmm. we actually interviewed over 500 leaders to get a little more of the why. And some of the results that I want to share with you today are from this. They're trying to figure out how great companies and big leaders are closing big deals. And I'm going to, I want to take you through some of those now, Steve. Okay, let's go for it. So one of, the, one of the key findings out of the study was that 76% of business leaders predict either steady or accelerated growth in the coming year. Now, for those of you who know, the economies looked a little shaky at times, but this survey of the men and women who are leading these companies uh, are feeling good about it. Now, for some, that's maybe not as, as interesting of a stat. This one might be a little more fun. Um, another concept that came out of the study, yep. and that was we asked uh, a lot of business leaders, sales in particular, what or who is the most difficult executive to deal with when you miss your number? And I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, if you're going to miss your number, who's the person you don't want to deal with? My wife. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, uh, that is fair. I can't really argue that one. Outside of your wife, you've got CRO, CEO, uh, CMO, anybody on the exec. Who, who I, do you I feel scare like a, the a, most? A chief marketing and chief sales officer, you know, the re- revenue officer. They 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 might get it. It's the CEO that uh, that makes me probably the most nervous because he's got this whole big picture thing. I think certainly at InsideSales.com, it probably is the CEO. <laughs> However, in the study, actually. For the record, Gabe said that, not that's me. That's right. That's right. Um, in the study, it was actually the CFO, 58.8% oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of respondents said the person who's the toughest is the CFO. And that was a large majority. The CEO can, actually came yeah. in at about 15%. So quite a it, difference. It's the guy who's responsible for all the numbers and the – That's right. That's right. Yeah, so, so some fun stuff coming out of the study, um, some more interesting, some more strategic stuff coming out of the study. But when it comes to closing big deals, three numbers really jumped out to me, Steve. Um, one is um, looking at 2015 versus 2014 data. Deal sizes on average are 5.5% larger, close rates 2.1% lower, and sales cycle is actually 6.4% longer. I mean, the message here is that people and companies are swimming upstream. They're going whale hunting. Now, look, I get it. There's always companies who go after small and big, but in general, what our market data is saying is that People are going upstream. So the question is, how do you do that most effectively? And I want to give some, glean some insights that came out of the data and some of these conversations around how companies are doing. So the first one is the topic that we talked about um, actually last time, Steve, and that is thinking through that account-based sales model and some of the core principles to that. Now, um, for those of you who didn't catch our last episode, we talked about account-based sales. And more specifically, we talked about account-based prospecting. So as you think about going after big deals, you've got to be thinking and identifying and aligning with the concept of account-based sales. So let me just uh, go over briefly the, the idea of account-based sales, and I'm going to go over that definition of, sure. of account-based sales. So I've defined it here as, well, I think it's a decent, decent definition. Account-based sales is a unified strategy to generate revenue by focusing on a personalized interactions across optimal personas in targeted accounts, simply stated, Account-based sales is is personalized sales. So uh, as you move upstream, I want to break this down a little bit. It, it's very important to have a unified strategy. Again, that's marketing, sales development, and your closers all working together to identify these targeted accounts. Um, targeted accounts are not subjectively chosen accounts. These are going to be accounts that you use data-driven either tools or methodologies to really figure out what your optimal target audience is going to be. Then we want to talk about this personalized interaction, right? Well, t- tell me really quickly on, on the tools and the data. What are, what are some of the things? I know here we use uh, Neuralytics 
to help determine who who we're we're we're, we're going after, who we're targeting. What are some? I mean, that that's obviously one tool that we're we're a little biased for. Right. But what are some other things that people can use real quickly? Yep. So a um, couple things you'd want to think about with targeting accounts. So one is a predictive scoring model, and that's really important. What is somebody's propensity to buy? Um, another tool would be probably thinking about list and data services, right? Because you've got to figure out what your total addressable market is. And so you want to be able to figure out who and what type of companies can I go after. So think of a data.com, some other list or service provider. You want to be able to get that general list. Then you want to run it through a scoring mechanism like Neuralytics. You want to run it through a um, a geography kind of optimization because you're eventually going to try to get those targeted accounts and split them by territory. Sure. So optimal list, optimal scoring, and then optimal kind of territories would be three things that I think would be pretty basic. So those would be some fun things around the concept of targeted accounts, but you've got to get those personas and that personalization in there. So that account-based model says, let's get everyone at our company aligned to different personas at that company. Let's start doing a strategic outreach. Let's go, not just emails, let's send a wine bottle. Let's send a gift. Let's get a lunch and learn in place. Let's really target and attack this plan. And that personalized approach really can help you get bigger deals. So account-based sales is a model if you're going after seven-figure deals. Well, I think one thing I, I tried one time is, is when, I, when I was going after these accounts was, you know, I had a guy and I saw on his Twitter Twitter feed, for example, that he was really frustrated that he had to take his car in again that day to get it fixed. Right. His truck had, had issues. And so in my email to him, it was, you know, the you know the, the, the email that I wanted to, to talk to him about the, the, uh, uh, the event. But at the end, I said, don't forget, your car problem could always be worse. And I found the ugliest picture of a car I could find on the internet. This was like a hybrid of a, like a, an old Firebird and a pickup truck. I had a, I had a Firebird, yep. I know that. <laughs> but did it have a pickup truck no, bed on the no, back? Yeah, that's right. No, it didn't. It I didn't. just want to make sure I didn't send him your picture. But, <laughs> but I sent him, I sent him the, 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 the picture. It was just a little thing. But the fact that I was keyed in enough to who he was and what he was doing, I could see on Twitter he was frustrated with this. I, can, I don't have to tell you exactly what happened with that. He, he called me from the, from the mechanic shop. Saying, okay, let's talk. Interesting. Yeah, it's that type of personalized approach, and then you combine that with your counterpart in sales and your counterpart in marketing, and you're getting into some fun areas. So that's number one. Number two that I think you got to be thinking about is the concept around technology and really solidifying your tech stack. Um, some interesting concepts around tech stack is – You've got to think about personas, right? So Mm -hmm. within your organization, I typically label them five key personas. So you have your sales dev team or some sort of business development. You've got your account executive or closers. You've got your client success or post-sales management team. You've got managers in general, and then you've got sales operations. Across these five personas, you can typically cover most of your tech stack needs, and it helps companies think about how they can really get in and figure out which technology is optimal for which persona. Now, interestingly, Steve, in this um, business uh, our BGI study, we actually proposed to the market and said, which technologies are most optimal to help you close big deals? And there was some some uh, some pretty surprising results coming out of that. 
what what uh, what were some, what were some of those that we, we that kind of surprised you the most? Yeah, so the top four. I'll, I'll go into the top three or four here. CRM dominated the list. Okay. Um, Got to have that in place, yep. and that's not too surprising. What came kind of number two and number three was sales intelligence tools and sales presentations. You got about 35% of respondents listing those as kind of the top of the class. Um, sales intelligence, that one is becoming more and more interesting in that account-based model. I want to sure. be personalized, so I need to know or have access to job changes, um, company revenue. You know, They just picked up a new funding. Um, company moving, you know, this person does this or this person does that or relevant information about that person or company. It needs to be fed to me. I can't go into 25 different sources to find that. So I'm not surprised that one came up on the list. Sales presentations, that's just core, right? Sure. And you, as you look at this model, how can I visualize, connect, talk with those types of people? And then number four on the list was kind of the – uh, it's the list and data service concept. So it's all about the leads. You've got to sure. see if you can't get me more qualified, targeted accounts. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to start go with that after. information. Well, don't, don't make me go hunt, you know, scour the world to find it. Give me a targeted account list or help me identify that and then let me apply some of the tools and techniques to bring that to fruition. Well, it's scalability, right? I mean, you need to know what's on the other end of the country with, before you head out there to go and, and, and prospect these guys. You need to know what's what's going on, what's who's out there what's and have one source for it before you can even look at business intelligence, before you can work at CRM. That's right. That's yeah, right. It's 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 often about the leads. I think the big surprise on this one was um, the predictive concept. It actually didn't make as far as usage. Predictive tools didn't didn't hit the top five, but in the qualitative feedback from leaders, predictive technology, almost 20%, nearly one in five leaders said predictive technology gave them a key boost in driving larger sales. So um, predictive is getting hot, and I think it's going to continue to play a big role in helping companies be successful. You know, I was, I was wondering why it's not in the top five, because I, I would put it up there personally. I want to bounce this off of you and see what you think. Do you think it's because most sales leaders don't know that it's out there and available? That sort of technology is, is, is at their fingertips? I mean, companies are getting better about big data. They're har- having a harder time finding technology that can harness and utilize that big data. And so whether it's hard to find or the predictive world is just coming. I mean, think about InsideSales.com. I can't think of a company out there in the sales acceleration space. Mm, That's not true. There is a handful, but nobody's got 100 billion sales interactions. I mean, everyone's just starting on the journey um, when it comes to predictive. So I'm not surprised to say people are starting to see the benefits, but it's not not fully utilized to this point. I think give it another couple of years, uh, or maybe even another year, that it's going to be that's going to break the top five for sure. I I, I totally agree. So um, number three on the list outside of technology, I'm going to go to a slightly different concept here, and that's really around managing pipeline. If we're serious about getting bigger deals, we've got to clean our house and see if we can't get things safe, secure, and really tight around the way we operationalize um, our pipeline. Now, to do that effectively, 
there's really three key areas that companies need to be thinking about in in order to manage your pipeline effectively. One is getting your deal stages. The second is thinking strategically about your um, uh, sales categories and then also your forecast probability. The key on – let me just give you the definition here real quick. So sure. on the concept of stages, right, those are – they're going to indicate where an opportunity is in the funnel or in the sales cycle. Um, number two, with the, the concept of categories, that's going to indicate how an opportunity would be reflected in a pipeline. So, for example, I may have a, um, an, an opportunity that's only in stage one, meaning it might be in my identified or planning stage. Um, but I've put the category on it commit, and this allows a subjective element when we talk about forecasting. Um, because I've actually had the business leader already tell me, yes, this is done, signed and dusted. The executive sponsor has given his verbal okay, but we haven't gone through contract negotiations, etc. So sometimes the stage and the category doesn't always line up. Next, you've got the concept of, of probability, and this is going to be typically um, an automatically assigned number based on your stage to help in forecasting. Um, it's important to try to get this right and use some data to apply your, your probabilities. Um, but these three core principles really set up for a strong foundation of managing an effective pipeline. Now, a couple key thoughts on this. I mean, make sure your deal stages, you've got milestones and outcomes so that you know how to work through those stages effectively. So they're n- that they're not just meaningless stages. Yeah, well, a lot of duplication sometimes. So you, one one opportunity could be in two stages. They need to be clear and concrete. They need to be different from another. They need to cover the whole pipeline. Um, you got to use data when it comes to, again, nailing down those probabilities. So if you can really understand and get a solid foundation, you're going to have better opportunity to manage your pipeline. What this allows you to do, Steve, is it gets you to a place where you can really start to measure the health of your pipeline. Um, I cover it in four key categories. I call it quantity, quality, balance, and velocity, or quality, quantity, velocity, and balance. These are the four areas that you can then start to measure the health of your pipeline. So real quickly, quantity would just be, now that I've got my stages and categories and probability, what's my total pipeline Um what does it look like? Is it reasonable versus my quota? Does it meet my expected pipeline versus quota ratio? That's going to help you know where you are in association with your deals. Next, you've got the quality concept. That's the It's the percentage of your pipeline that's got a scheduled next event. Are you working the opportunities that will close? And this is where you look into that predictive world. So a lot of good... Um, uh, predictive technology to determine mm-hmm. which opportunities are most likely to close. Which ones can you close this quarter? Or, you know, how can you basically move them from one stage to another? InsideSales.com's HDF product, that's uh, our HD forecast, helps companies think through how to optimize their pipeline pr- by providing, for example, opportunity scoring and opportunity management. Well, I think the problem there is salespeople tend to be inherently uh, optimistic at the beginning of, of, a, of a quarter or beginning of a month, you know, you ask any salesperson how many, you know, are they going to hit quota? Oh, yeah, maybe I'm going to surpass quota at the beginning of the month. 
Middle of the month, they're not so short. <laughs> End of the month, you know, the excuses start to pop up. And I think when you have that predictive element, like an HD forecast or, or, or something else, uh, it, it really kind of takes that element out of it and lets you get a realistic view of what's going on with that pipeline. So as, you know, so the CFO isn't so upset all the time. <laughs> that's that's right. exactly what's that, going that, on. That's right. So if you are able to really get down, get a strong foundation for a good, good pipeline and then monitor and measure it, I think that's a solid point number three. Now, point number um, – is it number – are we on number four here? No, we're, we're number three with uh, the uh, – I believe it's the sales management cadence. All right. So we're on point three here. You've got a strong pipeline. Then you start to think about – Getting a management cadence to really oversee this process so that you can work with your reps to clo- close these bigger deals. Um, so thinking about a sales management cadence that's effective for you, I break it into five areas. You've got to have an annual plan. You've got to be thinking about semi-annual activities such as performance assessments, competency assessments. You need to be thinking about a quarterly concept around a business plan review. This is focus account reviews where you sit down with your sales rep and actually get into those targeted accounts. What's going on? Do I need to switch those in or out? Then you do a monthly sales meeting to make sure everyone's on the same page. And then weekly is where you get into those individual and team coaching to really monitor and measure the health of your pipeline and understand where those big deals are or are not. And this type of oversight can really help you make sure that you're thinking big picture. Big seven-figure deals, they don't close in a month. You have to have a cadence to manage them over sometimes a year, 18 months. You know, I look at this as, you know, I use sports analogies a lot, but I look at this as kind of those in-between, those times after between the first quarter and second quarter. Coach pulls the, the team off the sideline, checks in, sees what's going on, gives a rah-rah speech, sends them out to the second quarter. Halftime, it's a little bit longer speech. You know, these are those those in-between-the-quarters talks where as a sales team you can talk, see where you're at, see what's going on, see what adjustments need to make, and then go back at it. Absolutely. And, and this type of management cadence keeps everyone on, I think, on their toes. So on, on top of that, as you um, think about this management cadence, you've got to be thinking about um, that one-on-one coaching concept. You know, Steve, you think about great people. I mean, think of a great athlete like LeBron James or, you know, Tiger Woods in his heyday or, um, you know, who's the great swimmer? Uh, Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps, right? They all have coaches. And and if you talk to Michael Phelps, he'll tell you that the coaching, he was an out-of-control kid growing up, and it was the coach that changed everything, that directed all that energy into – a record-setting number of gold medals. Yeah, I mean, the coach is going to make a huge difference. I'm, you, you can't argue with even Tiger Woods, again, LeBron James. All great superstars need coaches. And so I also think great salespeople need coaches. They, they need a manager to work with them and continue to hone their craft. And I think especially in these bigger deals – they often think they can go at it alone, and strategic seven-figure deal selling is not selling by yourself. It is it is a team selling motion. So one of the key things that I try to put into place for companies 
is that idea that it's not enough to train. You train, people forget it in a week. You coach, people continue to hone their 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 strategy. And so a great monthly skill or coaching program, typically every week you're going to dive into something. You're going to say, hey, on week one, this is a great concept I got from one of my buddies named Steve Frame here. Um, week one, maybe you sit down with the team and you, you hit metrics. You talk about um, KPIs for the group. Week two, you maybe do a case study, dive into an approach strategy and break it down as a team. Week three, maybe you make more of a research. You make it about best practices or new industry research in the market. Week four, actually get someone up on stage and walk through a role play and make sure that they can effectively overcome objections or pitch your product. But it's these type of program that can really help your, your team take a to level up. So if I summarized here, Steve, I'd, I'd say number one is that account-based model, making sure you get personalized, sure. making sure you get professional. Number two is really solidifying your sales stack. Number three is managing that pipeline effectively, getting that foundation in place. Number four is that management cadence. Let's get a full structure, reviewing these accounts. Let's let's be thinking about performance reviews. Let's be thinking about um, forecast strategies and structures. And then last but not least, making sure that you do have some sort of coaching program, both on an individual and team. I'm telling you, when I interviewed some of these big leaders, these were some of the keys that they were using to close seven-figure deals. You know, I love it. I love that it's concise. It's easy to follow. Um, I'm, I'm particularly excited to, to, to dive a little bit more into the coaching stuff. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. All right, some uh, some housekeeping issues really quickly. Uh, look us up on iTunes. Uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. Please rate and review us. Um, let us know how we're doing. Reach out to us at podcast at insidesales.com. That'll go right to us. We'll be happy to look for your questions and, and feedback. We've had a bunch of great emails and tweets so far. Um, you can... Uh, uh, message us on Twitter. I'm I'm at Steve Error, or feel free to uh, to message us at the hashtag Sales Acceleration and hashtag Podcast. Um, and we'd like to announce uh, we, we held the Accelerate event uh, a few weeks ago here in in the Silicon Slopes in Park City, Utah, and uh, we are so excited with how well that went uh, that we're going virtual. So uh, we're I'm going to to roll that out to everybody. We'll include links on registration for that in the show notes, but. Uh, we will have a, a, a live replay of the event. It'll be two days boiled down to one uh, on June 22nd from 8 to 5 uh, p.m. Pacific. And uh, feel free to, to personally invite anybody. We'll put the notes in there and, uh, and join us. And we look forward to it. And let's get at it. We'll see you next week.